really excited by this year. We feel God has spoken quite clearly to us on these areas that he's asking us to, to focus on and to strengthen on and to tighten how we're doing as a church. So if you want to grab your Bibles and uh, we're turning to the book of Revelation and chapter 7. Revelation chapter 7. And we want to look at these verses and see the vision of, in a sense, the church that is to come, but the church that we can now experience in the not yet as well. And the Apostle John has this incredible vision in, jo- in Revelation chapter 7, and we'll start in verse 9 uh, through to uh, verse 14. This is what John writes. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? And I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Let's pray together, shall we? Lord, we love you. And you love us even more. I pray your love would fall afresh upon people in this room. And Holy Spirit, I pray you'd speak to hearts. Jesus, we ask that you do all that you want to do this morning. Not about us, about you. So come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Speak through these words and give us a, a fresh vision for the year ahead. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is, is just think about these verses, about the church that, that is to come, and then we're going to pray together. And so here's John in these verses, and he writes, After this, I looked, and behold. I love that. He doesn't just say, I looked, and then tell us. He looked, and then he says, and behold, don't miss what the Holy Spirit showed me. Don't miss the huge cosmic significance of what I'm about to share. I looked and behold is what he's saying. And in Revelation 7, he gives this vision of the church that is to come. And uh, when you read the verses, it can sound a bit weird to our modern ears. In the ancient world, this kind of writing, this apocalyptic writing was very common. And they were very familiar with this genre of writing. But in our ears, it can just sound a bit weird and a bit, whoa, has this guy been smoking some stuff? What's happening here? And this is the language he's using to express what God showed him in this vision. 
And the Apostle John, who was in many ways Jesus' closest friend, had this vision. As an old man, he was sent to exile to Patmos. And on that island, God gives him this incredible vision that he records and is written down in the book of Revelation. Now, the book of Revelation, there'll be people here with different views, okay? Don't get lost in the fact that we may have different views on this. It's a book that people get very excited about and sometimes get very weird and wacky about. And there's other times that people get very confused about and then pretend they don't really need to read Revelation at all. What I want this morning is just to share my understanding of what's happening in these verses. And you may have a different understanding, and that's fine, but we're one in Jesus. Jesus is more important than your doctrine of end times. We're one in Christ in this place. He is the one who unites us. And so I want us just to think about this vision that gripped him, that overwhelmed him. And he says, look and behold. And he has this vision. And so we're going to think about this vision. And on your your seats, you've got a a copy of the vision that we have as a church, a multi-site church, pioneering across several locations. And this isn't just words on the page. This is what we see. This is what we, we long for the Lord to do more and more. And then the values as well that, that create the culture, the, the parameters, as it were, that as a church, this is how we're walking. And I said a few weeks ago, when we looked at these, the culture and the values, we said, look, we need to be cultural architects, every one of us. And so if someone isn't acting in a way that's in line with the culture of the house, we need to say, that's not how we do it here. We, we don't bitch about other churches in this place. We don't gossip about one another in this place. We speak words of life and hope and faith in this place because we value honoring. And so all of us, we just say, come on, let's build this great, great church with this healthy culture. And as I said, over these next two weeks, we're going to look at these two, uh, we're going to look at six priorities and look at two. And then God's spoken prophetically into one. And I just want to share that to finish with. The first two things that we see of in these verses is the focus of being multi-ethnic, as Stuart said. John sees this huge, multi-ethnic church. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number. This was massive. This was huge. It was uncountable. The church of Jesus Christ is infinitely bigger than you believe. It is massive. It is huge. And that's what John is saying in this vision. He caught a glimpse of this huge billions of people in this crowd that are gathering before the Lamb. And then I want us to see the beauty and the joy of this church that is multi-ethnic, that made up from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and languages. This, this vision that every nation, there's currently 197 countries in the world, from every tribe and people group, It's hard to number specifically, but over 20,000 different ethnic groups on planet Earth at the moment. From every language, there's over 7,000 languages spoken on this planet. And John is saying, throughout history, every single one is represented in this crowd. It is massive. Said it before, I'll say it again. This isn't an English church. This isn't a Swedish church. This isn't a European church. This isn't an African church. This is God's church. And every nation we want to fly with Jesus in this place. Every nation equal before the cross. No ceiling on anyone in this place. 
We want to be a family made up of every nation, every language, every tribe. And we want to reflect what is to come in the here and the now. Is that hungry for you? I love that. I love the fact that we are seeing that already. And for Grantham, it's wonderful the nations that are represented in this church family. But we're praying that more and more in this this year ahead, we'll walk into that. And it's a church that is totally focused and sold out for Jesus. They come before the Lamb. It's all about Jesus. It's all for Jesus. It's all to Jesus. This huge crowd are focused on Him and Him alone. And I love that. As we step into this year, we're praying that many will be added to our number from nations not yet represented and many more from those who already are. And so let's pray as we step into that. But the second focus, and this is what I want us to to, uh, spend a bit more time on, is discipleship. You see, my prayer is that this place, this location would be a church that doesn't just gather a crowd, but is a community of disciples. We don't come for a happy sing-along on a Sunday. My prayer is that your life would be radically changed by Jesus. That that he wouldn't just be one of many things that you do in your world, but he would be your world. Because if he really is who he claims to be, how can we be anything less? How can we play games with the creator God who loves us so much that he died for us and, and won the day for us and welcomes us into this relationship with him? And so as a church, we want to work hard at strengthening how we disciple people. It's not about numbers primarily, it's about disciples. But the more that are being discipled, the better, isn't it? In my view it is anyway. The more lives you see touched by Jesus, be transformed by Jesus, being blown away by Jesus, the more that I will be so thankful to God for what he's doing in this place. And so in 2020, we want to focus on strengthening the discipleship in this church And discipleship is falling in love with Jesus. It is daily surrendering to Jesus, and it's eternally being transformed by Jesus. And so in this room, there'll be people at different stages of their journey. It's a life journey with the Lord. Maybe you're here and you don't yet know him, and you're you're wondering whether he even exists. Well, your starting point is at the very start of saying, God, I give you my life personally. But you don't just give it to him to be forgiven You say, God, I want you to be my saviour, but I want you to be my Lord. I want you to take charge completely. And now help me to live with you. Discipleship is everything. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said this. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Dallas Willard put it this way. Discipleship is the process of becoming who Jesus would be if he were you. It's about becoming more like him. And our vision is to see people fall in love with Jesus and become more like Jesus. And in the Great Commission, in Matthew 28, Jesus said this, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And can I just, just put this to you this morning? That isn't for church leaders. That isn't for evangelists. It's for every single person who claims to be a follower of Jesus. 
this is his heart of what he wants you to do in your life. It is to enjoy him, to delight in him, to worship him. And from that place of delight and joy and enjoying him, saying, I love you so much, Jesus. I want others to know you so they can enjoy you too. And it's about going and making. We go. We shine as lights in our families, in our workplaces, with our mates. We shine. We go. We're not holy huddles. We don't just hang around with Christians the whole time. We say, God, I want to live life with with people who don't yet know you, to shine as a light for you. There may be people in this room, and if you're honest, none of your work colleagues know you even a Christian. And if they don't, how would they respond if they found out you were? Would they say, oh, yeah, that makes sense? Or would they say, really? I've heard how you talk around the office. I've heard how you really gossip and pull others down. Are you really a Christian? It's a challenge. In our families, hardest place. You can't fake it there. (laughs) Are we shining as lights with our families? Do they know us as people who love, who have integrity, who encourage, who support, who are faithful? Is that our heart? We are to go. But we're not just to go, we are to make disciples. We are to see God use me and you to transform the lives of those around us so people go deep in their faith with Christ. It's about life transformation rather than just a one-moment hand in the air. It's about going on a journey together. Go and make. Go and make. Go and make is what the Lord is, is, I believe, speaking over me and us afresh this morning. And sometimes we can read this great commission and just see it as a great suggestion. And it isn't. It's God's heart for you. And so in 2020, if you're serious about walking closely with Jesus, I'm afraid, my dear friend, you've got to do it on his terms and not yours. You've got to walk with him in his path for you, rather than inviting him on what your path should be in your mind. And so part of it is going and making. And we're going to think about how we do that in a moment. But I want to, we're going to watch a very brief clip about how, as a church, we're going to be launching a new location this year as part of us going and making disciples, which is exciting. We're seeing lives changed by Jesus. So let's watch this short intro. Since becoming a multi-site church in 2014, we have proudly stated that we see Alive as a strategic multi-site church made up of thousands, expressing itself in numerous locations, seeing many people come to faith, and equipping people who are passionate followers of Jesus Christ. We then proudly go on to say that we see a planting church who actively raise leaders and send teams to plant new locations. We see the power of our church readily working in partnership with other churches and ministries for the advancement of God's kingdom with a heart for the re-evangelization of the UK, believing we have a significant contribution to make. At the beginning of 2020, we acknowledge there is more to be done. As we recognize the number of successes we've had and our opportunities for learning, our vision and focus is stronger than ever. We are certain for what God has called us to. We are a community that believes that as we grow, we must go to advance the kingdom. 
On the journey of a live church, we've received a number of prophetic words that have spoken into our church strategy. From words about multiple location, as well as hearing that God will teach us to take the heart of cities. With all of this in mind, we believe the time is right for us to plant a new location of a live church. We love how a live church is growing. We are humbled by the team we have around us, and we are ready to follow the call of God for the heart of this city. We are so excited to announce that Alive Church are launching a brand new location in the north of Lincoln. We're in current talks with Bishop Grotesque University and we are aiming for a September 2020 launch. I find it really interesting that for Irene and I, our first call into church planting was a call into the north of the city. And I'm stood in front of Newport Hall, which was a home to us for a number of years. So it's brilliant that we're going back into the north of the city that we love. The heart of everything we do in planting is to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ and therefore we'll be running a number of invitational events in the north of the city over the summer months. We've already been in contact with church leaders in the area and we're really looking forward to working in partnership with other churches for the advancement of God's kingdom. In February, we will be gathering people together for an information night for those who want to hear more about Alive's heart for the transformation of the north of Lincoln. The location will be named Alive Lincoln North, with the other two Lincoln locations becoming Alive Lincoln Central and Alive Lincoln South. We already have team prepared, led by myself. Until the appointment of our future location pastors, me and Joe will still remain passionate as ever as location pastors of Alive Lincoln South. This really is an exciting, monumental time for Alive Church. This year, we will see the start of Alive Lincoln North. Great. That's exciting, isn't it? I love what God's doing. It's really good. And I love the fact that Dan and Stuart were trying not to laugh at the start as well, which made that video even better. So we're stepping out as a church, but as a location, I just want to just reflect on three things that you and I can do, if we're part of this family here, to go and to make, as we've been hearing about. And the first thing is to go on this alive journey, that we call it. And it starts with going on a live welcome. So if you've never been to one of our welcome um, uh, times where we just share the vision and the history, we just want you to feel really part of this family. The second, though, is that we're going to launch at some point, again, two evenings that look at our purpose. So who are we created to be? What is God's heart for us as a unique individual? But I really want to encourage people, again, to consider doing Alpha. I want to suggest that if you've never done an Alpha course, and if you're struggling in your walk with Jesus, this is a wonderful opportunity to re-engage with the King. And so I want to encourage you to think about doing Alpha. The next thing is, and we're reviewing this at the moment, but for a number of years we've run Freedom in Christ. All of us bring stuff to the table when we become Christians. And all of us over years will maybe bring stuff more and more into our hearts that can weigh us down and become baggage. And God wants you to run freely. He doesn't want you to run in a heaviness. He wants you to enjoy the freedom of grace. And so we're looking at a a course, uh, perhaps Freedom of Christ or perhaps something else, that enables us to disciple one another to run with Jesus and to go deep in him. And then the fifth thing is connect groups. 
If you are really serious about going and making disciples as part of this local community of called a local church, which in my understanding of the New Testament is God's plan A for reaching cities and villages, if you're serious about that, I want to encourage you to join a connect group where you will connect with people and learn to love people like Jesus loves. Where you'll connect with people and be encouraged and supported and actually connect with people and also you encourage and support because it isn't all about you. It's about you encouraging others too. So if you're not in a connect group, please consider joining a connect group as we step into this new year. The sec- Are you guys still with me? You're looking very bored, but I'll keep going. The second thing is, I know we talked about this whole area of partnership, and we did a series on it. And, and I just want to lay that before us again. You see, this isn't legalism. This isn't performance-based Christianity. This isn't a kind of, you must do this in order to be saved. But the reality is this. I genuinely have seen over 20 years that when we partner together, it needs a core of people in a local church to carry what God is doing. And it just seems to be the case in in every church, it's 20% to 80% of the work. And I just want to put a rally cry across us as a family this morning. Why don't we shift that? Why don't we as a location say, we're going to buck the trend? Because this is something so important, and because I want to go and make disciples as well as be disciple myself, I want to partner, and as Ian Holloway would say, go on adventure and see what happens. And so that means regularly attending Sundays. Not because you're going to be more lovable to God, but it's because you want to love people in this church and they're valuable and you want to give time to being part of this community on a Sunday. It means being part of a connect group where you're partnering with others in that. It means serving on at least one team when actually you're serving the people in this church as well. It means generously giving financially. And then it means prayer. Those five things we see mean we're partnering together for the gospel. This isn't legalism. This isn't a case of makes you an SAS Christian. But can I just say this? This is how you build church. This is it, guys. This doesn't happen by accident. It happens by by people capturing a vision of what Jesus wants to do in a community and saying, I'm going to be so into this That whether I feel it or not, whether life sucks or not, whether people are nice or not at times, I'm going to keep going because I believe the call and the vision is greater than over my comfort. And this is a mature church. And I want to call you into the deeper things of God. And the deeper things of God involve a group of broken people, gloriously saved by grace, who will go on an adventure with Jesus. But it involves, I understand the New Testament, these five things at least, where we partner together. Can you imagine what would happen if a hundred plus adults partnered together when there wasn't a need in the church, but it was, I'm going to give generously, or I'm going to serve in a team. I'm going to do this. I'm going to attend as regularly as I can. I'm going to go to a connect group. Oh, it sucks at times. Oh, I don't want to go at times. But you know what? The call is greater than my comfort. I'm going to keep going. Because the truth is this, it's the plodding that builds a local church. It really is. It's the plodding when we don't feel like keeping on going that builds a healthy, vibrant local church. And that is a mature uh, thing through the local church. Is that okay? So I want to encourage you, are you willing to partner this year? And in February, on February 25th at half seven, 
um, we're going to have our first partnership evening where we want to gather people who are serious about this and we're going to do those five things and we're going to go on an adventure together. So let's see this town one for Jesus. Amen? And then the third thing is that we are going to go and make disciples by pioneering two services. That is the only reason we're doing that. We don't need to go to two services with the current people we have. But we're going to two services to make room for the growth that we believe Jesus is going to bring into this church. We're doing it for those who aren't yet here and not for us that already are here. And I want to just, again, just speak out over us. A pioneering spirit needs to return to this church. When we started, we all mucked in. We had to. And I want to just pray that over the 200 adults or whatever it is in this church, saying we're in this, we're going to muck in together, and we're going to see what Jesus does. And so a pioneering spirit. As we step into two services, we're going to have a sign-up Sunday next week where we just share. We want all the teams to be strengthened numerically. And as we step into this new season, it may not look like it does now in both services, but let's give it a try. Let's trial it. Let's go for it. God's not going to have a go at us having too much faith. But let's step in and say, God, we want to see a location of 500 plus people in this this church. That's my prayer. Not numbers, but 500 individuals being discipled and falling in love with Jesus. That would be wonderful, wouldn't it? That's something that grabs my heart anyway. And so two, I'm going on for so long. Are you guys still with me? Two two final things about discipleship um, from these verses in Revelation. And then I want to pray for us. Two characteristics of discipleship. The first is discipleship is only possible by grace. We see in verse 14 that they had washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. The only reason these individuals were part of this multitude was because of the blood of Christ. Period. Finished. Done deal. It is only by grace. And it is only the reason we can keep going is by grace. We're not good enough. You're not impressive enough. I'm not impressive enough. But Jesus is. And when Jesus comes and fills us with his spirit, which again is grace at work in us, and when the Holy Spirit transforms us and enables us to keep going, anything can happen. Philip Yancey writes this, Grace means there's nothing I can do to make God love me more and nothing I can do to make God love me less. Sam Albury puts it this way, I don't need to look good so Jesus can look good. I need to be honest about my colossal spiritual need so that he can look all sufficient. It is only by grace that we're going to walk into anything that Jesus has for us. And discipleship begins by grace, it continues by grace, it is held in grace, it is only through grace. We don't earn anything. You just keep going deeper and deeper and deeper into debt because we never pay him back. Every step we take is because of the grace of God. And that's why I'm just passionate about grace. And so it's only possible through grace. But this is the second thing, and and again, I'm going to try and run through this. Discipleship, my dear friend, is about persevering through the brokenness and the pain. 
This is what it means to follow Jesus. It means you keep going even when you don't necessarily want to. It means you keep clinging even when life is falling apart all around you. And John has this vision of this huge crowd who people were coming out of the great tribulation. Now, this is one of the things that you may have a different view than I have, and that's fine. But some people argue this great tribulation is a, an exclusively short period of time in the future, immediately before the second coming of Jesus. Personally, that's not my view of what the great tribulation is. My understanding is the New Testament teaches that every Christian in every age will experience tribulation. And so, for example, John in in chapter 1, verse 9, on the island of Patmos is described as going through tribulation. Revelation 2, 9, Jesus said to the Christians in Smyrna, I know your tribulation. Jesus said in John 16, verse 33, in this world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Paul uses the word tribulation 23 times, and 21 of them refers to an ongoing present-day struggle of Christians. And in Revelation 7 verse 14, in the Greek it's in the present participle tense, which means it's an ongoing present struggle. So my, again, if you disagree with me, that's fine. Don't lose Jesus in the disagreement. But my understanding here is this. John is seeing this vast crowd of every Christian that's ever lived who have clung to Christ and kept going even when suffering, brokenness, trials, persecution comes. And this is discipleship. It's wanting, it's keeping on going even when you want to quit. It's about trusting Jesus even when the feelings go, even when life's falling apart, even when you have totally messed up. He is enough. And the great tribulation is great because of the intensity and, 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 and the, the attack of the enemy. The devil hates you. He hates your walk with Jesus. He hates this church. He tries to destroy this church. But the gates of hell will not prevail because Jesus is king and he holds the key. And C.S. Lewis once wrote this. God knows our situation. He will not judge us as if we had no difficulties to overcome. What matters is the sincerity and perseverance of our will to overcome them. And the vision that John had was of a church who were mature and steadfast and strong. They weren't wishy-washy, flimsy, up and down, but were constant, consistent and faithful. And that is what the Holy Spirit is speaking over us as a location. We are to walk 2020 with a sense of, I'm going to walk with you, Jesus. When the battles come, I cling. When the presence of the feeling goes, I stay. When, when people are, are, are not very nice to me, I don't run away, but I stay and I deal with it and I journey it in grace. That is what a mature church looks like. And let's pray God does it more and more in this place. Are you up for it? And what I felt was this, that as we step into the new year, I just feel prophetically there are people in this room who need to step into the new things of God. And, and so I've asked Matt and, and a couple of other guys just to help move this door that we use at Christmas and put it here at the front. And there are people in this room where 2019 was awful. 
genuinely awful. You, you walk through things, and I walk through things that I never, ever want to walk through again. And at the start of a new year, if you turn it around, guys. At the start of a new year, I want us to take a moment, if this door will stand. Oh. But I want us to be a kind of prophetic thing. I can stand like this, it's fine. Um, but I genuinely mean this. I really felt in my heart this was something that we need to do. Well, actually, there are people in this room who just say, God, I want to step into a new thing with you. And, and it's a new thing maybe because of battles you faced or, or things that, if you're honest, your walk with Jesus has completely gone a million miles from where you wanted it to be. And this morning, as we think about a multi-ethnic, glorious church, wonderfully multicultural, one in Christ, but a group of people sold out for Jesus, there are people in this room that you need to recommit your life to him. Eric Little once said this, you will know as much of God and only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. I find that so challenging. And so Holy Spirit, come this morning.